All right, if you're in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 27, we're going to uh, jump into that passage today. Only two verses. So you're thinking, Rick, we're going to get out here early? Who knows? Who knows? 20, you got 26, 27, two verses. Um, as I've been looking at this passage this week, it just, we're going to keep it in the context of what we've been seeing so far in Romans 8. So let me do a quiz because I'm a teacher. What is the main theme of Romans 8? Assurance. I'm going to think I heard that just because I was starting to feel bad a little bit. It's assurance. It's that moment when we are facing pain and suffering in this present evil age. We know that this isn't all there is. And so that, that theme is going to continue in our passage here today. Now, I have to admit that last week, as we looked at the passage last week, today we talk about the sustaining spirit. Last week, we saw from Romans 8, 18 through 25, that hope changes our suffering. We have a hope during our present suffering. Now, we discussed how we live in this present evil age under our, in our suffering, and that's a result of the fall and living in a sin-cursed world. We discussed how this suffering is temporal, and it's going to come to an end at Christ's return, as we sang about today, when He restores all things. And then we looked at some ways that we should respond to suffering in this present age based on this passage. And I'm just going to review a couple. We talked about how we should understand that, that suffering is real, but it's not forever. We talked about how we should place our hope in the restoration of all things, not on the relief of our temporal suffering. We should remember that God uses our suffering for His glory. Am I going too fast, guys? All right, there we go. Um, we might go through this again here. We should remember that God uses our suffering to His glory. We also talked about we should remember that suffering shows our identity in Christ. All right? And finally, we should always remember that God has chosen to share in our suffering. Now, I have to admit, last week was a heavy sermon. Heavy sermon. I don't know if you wore it. I was wearing it when I left. It was very, very heavy. It was heavy in that the passage, if you noticed, did not contain one escape hatch or way to avoid suffering. It didn't say, if you do this, you won't suffer. It didn't say, if you're faithful, God won't let you suffer. It didn't say, if you give to the church, you will never suffer. It was no name it, claim it kind of sermon last week. It was, you're going to suffer. It was heavy. But the passage we discussed last week encouraged us to embrace our present suffering. Because our suffering has something beautiful on the other side of it, something glorious beyond it. And we talked about how our suffering in this life is bearable only when seen in the light of unending joy and glory at the presence of Christ, which we sang about. And then we talked about how Paul declared to these Roman Christians and to us as well that our hope changes the nature of our suffering. Because we have a confidence that someday all will be made right and restored when Christ returns. Now, the passage under consideration this morning is going to revisit the idea of suffering. You're like, really? Yesterday was, last week was heavy. I know. But we're not done yet. We're not done yet. We're going to revisit the idea of suffering in this present evil age. Will you read with me and take a look in your, in your Bibles, Romans 8, 26 through 27. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the opportunity now to turn to your word. And Father, I pray that you would help us to understand your word well today. Help me to explain it well. Father, I pray that at the end of this service, at the end of this time in your word, may my name not be remembered at all. I pray that the truths of what's remembered will be what's remembered in the, in the minds of, of these people. I pray that they would forget whoever shared this sermon with them, but they remember the truths of, the whole, of what we see in this word about the Holy Spirit, how He helps us. Father, I pray for you to receive all the honor and glory. In Jesus' great name, amen. Now, this passage under consideration today, Paul is giving us one more comfort. If you remember last week, the big comfort for us in our suffering was hope. Hope in the return of Christ has set all things right. But that's not all there is in this passage. And I did not feel like it was best to go over that last week, or it would have been a long time here. I wanted to spend more time focusing on this aspect for one one time. For, so for two verses, I want to go through this. And I want you to understand here, what we see here is that during these sufferings, we're not left on our own. We have the hope that Christ has given us in His return, but we also have something else. We have the Holy Spirit with us during our suffering. We have the Holy Spirit with us during our suffering. The Holy Spirit is given to us. If we're believers in Christ here today, the Holy Spirit was given to us the moment we placed our faith in Christ. The moment we trusted to be true that Jesus is who He says He is, and that He did what the Bible says He did, that He died for our sins, was buried, and rose again, we were indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit, He is a gift to us, and I'll be honest, we don't like to talk about Him too much. Because if we talk about them too much, we sound like other people, you know? We talk about the Spirit a lot. That's okay, because Jesus talks a lot about the Spirit. As a matter of fact, Jesus talks a lot more about the Spirit than He does about Himself. Yet we ignore Him, and He is active in a myriad of ways in the life of believers. Paul is only going to focus on one activity of the Spirit in the lives of us, God's children, in today's passage. You ready? It's real simple. He helps. He helps. You're like, that's it? Yeah. But the word that Paul is using here for help, the simple word help, it's a really complex word. And to be honest with you, a majority of my time this week is practicing how to say it. So I'm going to try it. It's the Greek word, synontelambanomai. I'm only going to do it one time. If you want to hear that again, you watch the tape. And this word is a great word. It means to take hold of with someone, to support, help, or aid. It's like this. It's yesterday... I was outside, it was a nice cool day, and I realized that I need to do a little tree trimming because some of my branches were growing into my neighbor's yard and maybe even into their house. And I'm thinking, I need to be a good neighbor here. And so what I did was I went out there with all my tools that I have, 
to cut down a limb. Now, there was a limb that was growing right into what I'm assuming is their kitchen, okay? And I'm like, I got to get rid of that, but I'm trying to be careful. I don't want to be that guy that hits a car while I'm cutting limbs down. So I use my, my hook, and I grab the tree branch, and I bring it close, and I've got to hold it. Now, listen, if I'd have been a lighter man, I'd have ended up on the roof. There was some nice flexing going on in that branch. I was getting a little nervous. So I realized I'm going to need some help. I did a little bit of sawing. So I went in and I grabbed Ella. She was the closest one I knew she was there. I was like, Ella, can you come out and help me? All right. She came outside. I was like, Ella, I'm going to need you to hold this branch. And you're like, are you kidding me? All right. I did not shoot my daughter across the neighborhood. That's not how this story is going to go. Although that would have been a great ending. Okay. No. As I pulled the branch, I was going to pull it for her to hold it while I cut this one last pot. As soon as I pulled it, it broke off. It just broke off. I looked over at her and said, Ella, thank you for all your help. Thanks for being there. It was because of you that branch broke. I appreciate you. Okay? Now, this word help is having someone with you. All right? I was out there holding the tree branch while sawing it. At one time, I'm going to confess this now, but if my wife knew this was happening then, I would have been in trouble. I was actually at one point cutting a tree branch with one hand, using my knee, doing this while holding it. Stupid, right? You're like, you could have been in the hospital. I know, all right? I, but I'm out there going, I hope nobody sees this, but then I realize we have security cameras. I'm sure it's out there, all right? We might post it. You can watch it. I didn't have anyone at that moment to help me. Now, here's the idea here. When the Holy Spirit helps us, He takes hold of with someone. Have you ever had a load so heavy you needed somebody else to help you carry it? Or are you like me who every time I go to the grocery store, one trip back in, right? Anybody do that? Anybody pack yourself up with bags and do one trip? Okay, some guys are wet nodding. Thank you, okay? I'm a one-trip guy. I will pull back muscles to get in with one trip, okay? It's happened. But when my wife goes grocery shopping, she shoots a text. As soon as she pulls in the driveway, it just says simply, come help. And what we know in our family, if mom texts, come help, we stop what we're doing, all right? Kids have run out in their PJs, shoeless, all right, just to help. Because she's asking for this word here, come take hold of with me, support and help me. Now, here's the neat thing, you ready? This word help that Paul uses here, it's a common word you would think, right? But this word is only used one more place in the New Testament. And it's used in the scene in the New Testament where Jesus is at the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And Martha is busy with a lot of work in the kitchen. She's trying to take care of all these people who have come to her house. And she comes out after getting frustrated and tells Jesus, Jesus, compel Mary to come and help me because she was overburdened. She's asking Jesus to make Mary work alongside of her and support her in this work. So that's that word. Now, there's something else, and I'll leave the grammar for a minute, sorry. In the Greek, this word is in the present tense, which means it's a continuing action, all right? It's repetitive. So, if I were to translate this, if we had the Rick Standard Version, and I was translating this passage for you today, it would look something like this. The Holy Spirit keeps on helping us in our weakness. 
He keeps on helping us in our weakness. Now, don't miss this beautiful point from this. The Holy Spirit doesn't just show up when we're weak. It's not like we're weak and all of a sudden he shows up. Okay, the phrase, ready? you've heard this before, we, we do our best and trust God with the rest. It's a lie. It's garbage. Let's pitch that. It's pit, let's pitch it. We don't do our best and trust God with the rest. The passage here is saying that we are continually weak in this present age, and the Holy Spirit keeps on helping us in our weakness. That's what's happening. We are continually weak. Why are we weak? From last week's passage, what what do we experience? Suffering. This present evil age is marked by suffering, and we are continually weak in it. We get hit all the time with it, to the point where sometimes we say, God, can you just let up a little bit? You ever been there? You ever prayed that prayer in the quietness of your heart? Can you just give me a break? A little something here? How much? And we see here we're continually weak in this age, and the Holy Spirit keeps helping us. So here's the next question. How? How does the believer help us in this present age? You see, what we see in this passage is the Holy Spirit doing the very job that Jesus promised His disciples He would do once He was sent. Jesus told His disciples that it was actually good for Him to go and ascend to the Father, for when He does, He could send the Holy Spirit to indwell their hearts. We see this in John 16, 7, where Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Can you imagine Jesus' disciples hearing that? He's saying, I'm going away, and it's a good thing. I've been with you three years. I've walked with you. You've seen me do amazing things, but it's going to be good when I go away. And deep down, the disciples are saying, how is that good that you're going away? And he answers it, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then in John 14, 16 through 17, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus told them, his disciples, that the Holy Spirit would do greater works in their lives since he would be able to dwell within them and not just walk beside them. And this is an amazing thing. Brothers and sisters, we've been given not just a gift, but the very Spirit of Christ to dwell within our hearts while we are in this already but not yet life that we've been talking about in this passage. So, how does or what does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? Now, to answer the question of how does the Spirit help us, it could fill the remainder of this service and carry us into the afternoon. But I want to focus our time this morning on just two activities of the Holy Spirit that Paul mentions in this passage. And these two ideas build off one another so much so that they're inseparable. All right? So the first one, the Holy Spirit sustains the Christian. The Holy Spirit sustains the Christian. Now, you might be saying, Rick, uh, I read those two verses. I don't see anywhere in them where the Holy Spirit sustains us. What are you doing here? But I want to draw your attention to one simple, simple word at the very beginning. 
the word likewise. You see it? The word likewise. This connector, likewise, is vital to understanding what Paul is saying of the Holy Spirit in this passage. It's a word that means in the same way or manner, in the same way, okay? It's that idea. If we were to translate it again, we might say, in the same way the Spirit does this. It's likely what Paul is saying here is just like in the passage we read last week, that our hope as Christians in the age to come sustains us in our present sufferings, that the Holy Spirit sustains us in our sufferings as well. That's what's happening in that passage. That's what's going on. Just as our Christian hope in the age to come sustains us amid these present sufferings, the ones that are hurting, they're beating us down, the ones we cry out to God about, our hope, the beautiful, the beautiful thing we see beyond it sustains us. The Holy Spirit is given to us to sustain us during these times as well. Now, what does it mean that the Holy Spirit sustains us? Guys, we, we cannot separate today's passage from last week's context of suffering. In verses 18 and 25, Paul is clear that our hope, our confident expectation in the age to come where Christ sets all things right, reconciles them, and restores all things to the way they were designed to be, that hope is what sustains us through suffering. And in keeping with that context, Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit sustains us as we endure this suffering. Think of it this way. While we experience the suffering of this present age, we have the coming Christ and the present Spirit to help us endure. Think of that. We're not just left in our sufferings to wonder what's going to happen and hope God will set all things right. We have been given the Holy Spirit who indwells our hearts to sustain us. Let the full weight of that truth sink in for just a moment. We have the assurance of Christ's return. It's a confident expectation. The word hope is a great word when used in the Greek New Testament. It doesn't mean as we use it today, like, well, I hope that happens, maybe. It's literally a confident expectation. It's a lot like this. How many of you, for birthdays, Christmases, you have one member of your family that does not like to be surprised, you got to go from a list? Anybody? Just me. Okay, awesome. So I have a member of my family who, you got to go with the list. You got to go with the list. Don't veer from the list. I'm the same way, though. Have Kids, this is one of those things you can remember for Miss Pam and turn this in, so write this down. Have you ever picked out your own Christmas or birthday present? All right, then mom and dad do the worst thing imaginable. You go to the store, you pick it out, you carry it home. They make you carry it, okay? And then when they get home, what do they do with it? They wrap it. And then what do they do? They put it under a tree and say, hey, next month. That's yours. Now listen, while that's a little bit torturous, okay, imagine a, a child who has just went out and picked out their gift. They've brought it home. They've wrapped, or the mom and dad have wrapped it. They put it on a tree, and now they're going, man, I really wonder if I'm getting that. I really hope I do. You look at them and go, what do you mean you wonder? It's there. It's in the box. It's still in the shape. You could shake it. It's still there. Man, I really hope I get that. And then opening it like you're surprised. Oh, like that's happening. You ever, you ever fake that move? 
You're not surprised. You know what it is. That's the actual word for hope in the New Testament. It's a confident expectation that what you're hoping for is actually going to happen. It's there. It's just not unwrapped yet. Brothers and sisters, your, the restoration of all things, your presence with Christ forever is there. It just hasn't been unwrapped yet. It's under the tree. It's ready to go. We're just waiting for the day. But Paul says, not only do you have that, you also have the Holy Spirit. He's now been given to you. You see, we have the assurance of Christ's return, yet we, as, patient, as we patiently endure the trials and pain of this present evil age, sometimes we get to the place where our strength and even sometimes our faith may grow weary or even become shattered. We, we, we get so much on us, we're like, I just don't understand. And beloved, it is at that place where we can find renewed reassurance because the Holy Spirit has been given to us to sustain us. Now, that leads us to the second point. How does the Holy Spirit sustain us? Here it is in this passage. The Holy Spirit sustains the Christian by interceding for the Christian. He sustains us by interceding for us. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised would happen. In John 14, 26-27 that Pam read earlier, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Look at what's happening. He's saying, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, and he's going to give you peace. Don't don't separate these two verses. He's saying the Holy Spirit's going to come, and He's going to bring to you all these things I've told you, and He's going to be my peace that I'm leaving with you. You see, Jesus, the word Jesus uses here, rendered in your ESV that most of you may have today as helper, is the Greek word parakletos. And it means one called or sent for to assist another, an advocate, one who pleads the cause of another, one present to render various beneficial service. In other words, he works to the benefit of believers in Christ towards greater growth into Christ's likeness. That's what the Holy Spirit is supposed to do for you. The Holy Spirit indwells you to make you more and more like Jesus. That is what is meant that the Holy Spirit is our intercessor. He comes to our aid in our deepest need. He appeals the case before the Father and then is right beside us in our suffering to provide us with priceless help. He's right there with us. He's the fulfillment of Matthew 28 when Jesus says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The Holy Spirit is right there with you. John Murray once explained it this way. I love this. The children of God have two intercessors. Christ is the intercessor in the court of heaven, and the Holy Spirit is their intercessor in the theater of their own hearts. Now, I'm going to stop there for just for a moment. Just as Christ intercedes before the Father, And some people have explained it such like this, that we stand accused before God because of our sin, and Christ stands in the way and says, yes, and I have paid the penalty for that sin. The Holy Spirit does that in our hearts, because I don't know about you, but my heart will condemn me quickly 
Anyone else? How could you do that? How could you say, how could you think that? You're a believer in Christ. If left without the Holy Spirit, I would condemn myself in my own heart. But 1 John tells us that God is greater than our hearts and He knows all things. The Spirit who indwells us knows our hearts and He provides comfort during those times. So how does this apply to the sustaining work of the Holy Spirit? The big idea I want you to remember from this passage, and kids, if you want to write this one down, this will get you that prize, whatever you're looking for, is that the the sustaining work of the Holy Spirit declared in this passage is that He helps us as we pray in our suffering. You see, the context of this passage is about suffering of this present evil age. And the Holy Spirit helps us pray in our suffering. Kenneth Barker says this, and and I know I have a lot of quotes, but man, this is a good one. He says, as hope sustains believers when they suffer, so the Holy Spirit helps them when they pray. So why do we need that? Why do we need the help of the Holy Spirit when we pray? Well, first, I believe there are two things to consider in this. Why do we need the Holy Spirit when we pray? First, it says in verse 26, we don't pray as we ought. We don't pray as we ought. Um, if we went around the room today and said, hey, how's your prayer life? All of us, not, well, I'll say this way, none of us would go, five stars, man, killing it, killing it. Man, when I pray, it's like I hear God, I, I hear angels' wings flapping, whatever. No, right? For the most part, we struggle, don't we? Even in times of non-suffering when we pray, it's hard for us to know how to pray and what to pray for. But our normal human response to suffering, as we saw last week, is to avoid it or remove ourselves from it. We don't want to experience suffering. When we go through it, we want to find our way out of it as soon as possible. We don't want to go through it. We don't want to enjoy it. There's nothing to enjoy about it. Thus, our default way of praying when suffering occurs is to pray ourselves out of it. Now, that's not to say that such prayer is wrong or sinful. What I want to suggest is that it may not be beneficial. Nowhere is this found more clearly, in my opinion, than in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. I'm going to put it on the screen, where the brother of Jesus tells us to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet Oh, it's not on the screen. Sorry, just kidding. Count, trust me, it's there. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And he then later on describes these trials as good and perfect gifts that come from God himself indicating that the sufferings of this present age are intended to grow us more into the image of Jesus. So think about that for a minute. The sufferings that we experience every day are geared to make us more like Jesus. And how do we pray? Get me out of this, Lord. Get me out of this. Um, I tell people a lot, that I, I, I have theology classes, I, I've got these degrees in this, but I've learned more theology being a dad than any class ever taught me. Uh, I remember um, with our firstborn, um, we had to take him right after a certain time to go get his 
vaccinations. And all parents in here know what I'm talking about. Okay? And I remember holding my son, okay, taking him to the doctor and the nurse saying, okay, dad, I'm going to need you to hold him while I vaccinate him. I'm like, okay. And this lady brought out a needle that looked like a Capri Sun straw. And I'm holding my little Michelin man. Okay? It's the only time in his life he's ever been chubby. All right? I'm holding him. And, and Eli's never known pain, man. He's got a, per, he had a perfect life up to that point. Mom and dad killing it. All right? He knows no pain. He looks at that nurse. He's like, he sees the needle coming, going, like, what's that? That's awesome, right? He's not talking. He, he talked the next day. He was, he's not that advanced. And then they stuck him in both legs. I mean, it was like merciless. You ever been there with that nurse? And she goes, bam, bam. I mean, how did you have, how, did, how were you holding all the needles? Just had them all. And then he has this look. And you know this look, kid, you guys, you've seen on your children, where the, the, the pure joy of the world goes to, they're suffering, right? And what happens? Bottom lip. First, it's a confused, like, why would another adult harm me? You're supposed to give me things when I ask. It's your job. But he goes from that to, and then the tears. Now, listen, I'm an adult male, and I feel like I have the Holy Spirit at that time in my life, but I never want to punt a person more in my life than the person who stuck those needles. I just want to go, you know, it's just going to be pressure. Okay, just, this is pressure. You know, do that too. Okay. Now, listen, he's crying. He's wandering deep down, and thankfully, he doesn't remember it, hopefully. And he's saying, why would this happen? Well, why was it happen? What are those doing for him? What are those vaccinations doing for them? They're helping him. They're making him stronger. They're boosting his immune system. He didn't understand that. I don't even understand it with tears. But the nurse did. The doctor did. You see, sometimes these trials, the suffering that God brings to our lives is meant to make us more like Jesus. And if that's true, why would we avoid that which is intended by God to make us more like Jesus. I'm not saying we run into suffering headstrong and go, bring it on. I'm not saying we do that. But when we experience the suffering, instead of praying something to the effect of, God, take this away, what if we prayed, Lord, as I experience this, help me to make, help, make, help me make, help me to be more like Jesus on the other side of it. Don't let me waste this. Don't let me waste this. Which leads us to the second thing I want to consider here before we move on, and that is that the help of the Spirit, or that the Spirit helps us in our weakness by, by praying for the will of God for us. He, pray, he says there in verse 27 that He prays the will of God for us. Think of it this way. If it were not for the work of the Holy Spirit, we could not pray, we could not pray according to the will of God in our present suffering. We would pray differently, wouldn't we, if we didn't have the Holy Spirit? Have you ever been in a moment of suffering and stopped to pray and you don't have the words to articulate what your heart is feeling? Words fail. The pain of what you're experiencing comes in. You experience doubt, maybe, in the goodness of God for letting this happen, and then you experience guilt over that doubt, and it all becomes too much to try to articulate what to pray. 
You ever been there when all you can pray is just a sigh, an exhale, or like we saw last week, a a sigh of righteous venting? Kenneth Boa says it this way, because he says, you're not alone, friends. We've been there. He puts it like this, who has not bent the knee before the Father and been at a loss for words? How often does the mind of man fall short in discerning the purposes of God? You're not alone. Brothers and sisters, it's part of the already but not yet life in which we live in this present evil age, awaiting the glorious age to come, that we experience these moments. We, as Paul writes, do not pray for as we ought. And that's not something new to Christians in the New Testament. God's people throughout scriptural history have had such moments. The Psalms are packed with Psalms of lament, where the author is expressing communication to God that's filled with doubts and frustration or righteous venting over the way things are. And I'm just going to look at one in Psalm chapter 6. On the screen, Psalms 1 through, Psalm 6, 1 through 7. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I'm languishing. He's in pain. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? And the indication there is, how long are you going to be silent? How long are you going to leave me in this? How long am I going to have to experience this suffering that I'm experiencing? How long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death, there's no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? The psalmist here is saying, hey, deliver me, because if you you send me to, to the grave, what good is it? He's trying to bargain with God here. You ever done that? You ever said, God, if, you, if you'll remove this, I'll do this. Don't let me go through this. He says, I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. David is in pain here, pleading with God for deliverance. But there's more to this psalm. Let's look at the rest. He says, depart from me, all you workers of evil. And people are like, what's going on in that passage? Well, remember, he's experiencing suffering, and he's wondering why God has abandoned him. The workers of evil are the ones who are telling him, yeah, God's abandoned you. He says, depart from me. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. You see, David is making a dramatic shift from hopelessness to hopefulness, knowing that God has heard his prayer. What happened? How did David go from despair to confidence? May I suggest to you that David's Confidence is a direct result of the Holy Spirit's work. As the Spirit intercedes for us before the Father, a hope emboldens us amid our anxiety and our doubt. David knows God hears his prayer. He hasn't gotten an answer yet. Notice that. Nowhere in the psalm do we see an answer. He just knows there will be one because God has heard it. 
The intercession of the Holy Spirit on our behalf gives us confidence that God hears us, causing us to go from hopelessness and our suffering to hopefulness and trust that God will act according to His good and perfect will for us. Now, if you remember, I put a quote on the board earlier from Kenneth Boa, where he talked about, who has not bent the knee before the Father and been at a loss for words, how often does the mind of man fall short in discerning the purposes of God? But there's the rest of the quote. He says, yet how often do we rise from a season of wordless prayer to have our hearts refreshed, our hope renewed, and our faith rewarded, knowing that the Spirit has prayed and the Father has heard? Thank God for the ministry of the Holy Spirit who intercedes to bring the purposes of God to fruition. The reality of the indwelling Spirit within us gives us this confidence. Only by the Spirit could we have the confidence that God can and will act according to His will. Because if we didn't have the Holy Spirit, we would wonder. Christopher Ash says this, Only by the Spirit do we know the pain of a messed up world is labor pains rather than death throes. I like that phrase. Only by the Spirit do we know that the pain of a messed up world is just labor pains and not death rows. We know they're going to end. And only by, by that that we really can pray in confident hope for the new creation and the redemption of our bodies. The Spirit, this Spirit-given understanding is how He sustains us, helping us in our weakness by interceding for us. Last quote. Kent Hughes, in his book on Romans, states this this way. He goes, how marvelous this all is. We have two intercessors, one in heaven, our Lord Jesus, who intercedes for our sins, and one in our hearts, the Holy Spirit himself. How greatly we are loved. Brothers and sisters, beloved, we are truly loved and cared for by our God. We have not been abandoned in this present evil age marked with evil and suffering. We are sustained in this present age by our hope in the return of Christ. And we are sustained in this present age by the indwelling Spirit who has given, us, who has given to us at the moment we place our faith in Christ alone for salvation. Now, I know as I'm talking to this congregation, I'm talking to a lot of people in this room, and I'm not sure where you are on this. My prayer is that everyone I'm speaking to is a, is a Christian, one who has put their faith in Christ. And to you, what I want to give you today is, when you walk through the suffering, know you are greatly loved because you have been given a hope in the return of Christ, and you've been indwelled by the Holy Spirit who walks with you through your suffering. Just like Jesus said, He's with you all the days. But if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you've never trusted to be true that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's God, and that he did what the Bible says he did, that he died for your sins, was buried and rose again. You don't have this. You have neither intercessors. You have neither hope because the return of Christ for you is terrifying. And there is no indwelling spirit. To you, my friend, I would ask that you talk to someone today. Look around you. There are men and women who would love nothing more than to talk to you about what it means to know who Christ is and to trust in Him for salvation. 
If you would rather not talk to someone that's right beside you, come talk to me. We'll go somewhere privately. We'll talk about this. But make no mistake, don't waste another moment in this. Father, we, congregation, we pray with me. Father, we, we thank you for this opportunity to spend in your word today. Father, I pray that what I've said today, if it's just my opinion, let it be forever forgotten. But let your word be what's remembered. Father, these have been some very heavy passages, heavy sermons these last two weeks. And none of that is on accident. I can't help think that that is just sounding off. Your, word, your, your promise that your word will not return void. There are many of us in this room who are suffering. We're hurting right now. We're not sure what you're doing. Father, may the hope in your son's return and may the indwelling spirit sustain us in this suffering. Father, as we prepare, some of us prepare to enter suffering, God, I pray that we remember the truths of what we've studied for these past two weeks. Father, I pray for some in this room today who may not know your Son as Savior. They may not have trusted to be true that Jesus is who He says He is, that He is God, and that He did what your Word says He did, that He, he suffered on behalf for their sins on the cross, and that He rose again showing that death has no more power. Father, if there's anyone in this room today who, who fall under that category, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what your Holy Spirit does, that you would draw them to yourself, and they would come to faith in your Son, Jesus. Father, for the rest of us in this room, as we walk this present evil age, this already not yet life, may we do so in the midst of our pain, in the midst of suffering, with our joy based on the hope we have in Christ. Father, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who helps us and sustains us by interceding for us. And we pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.